you have a Bible this morning and you'll read along with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And uh, we're going to jump around a little bit in our reading today in this, within this uh, same chapter and, and just after this chapter. So we'll read the first 11 verses of 1 Chronicles 28. And then we'll jump down to verse 19 and pick up our reading again. In the in-between, it's, just, it's describing something that David was commissioned to make, and we'll make comments about those things. Um, but we won't read all of the things between verses 11 and 19. So again, we'll pick up in First Chronicles chapter 28, and we'll begin our reading in verse 1 of that text. It reads this. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, and captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and and of his sons, with the officers and with the mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, pause there for just a moment to kind of give you a visual. So what's taking place here is David is at the end of his life. He's about to die. He has called all the leaders of Israel over the various responsibilities that they have been given. So some are responsibilities for the servants in directly within the kingdom. Some are captains, as we would call them, or lieutenants, generals. Anyone that has a position of authority in Israel, he has called them to come to the kingdom. And you'll notice there that it makes a point that David stood upon his feet. So he's a weak, old man we learn from a different text. And he rises to his feet to to signify the importance of what he's about to say and what he is about to do. And he's speaking before all these people, and here's what he says to all the leaders of Israel. Hear me, my brethren, and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. Howbeit, the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father. And among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon, thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep 
and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof and of the treasuries thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and of the place of the mercy seat. I'm going to skip down to verse 19. So what the next seven verses I'm skipping discuss is just all the things that David is giving him this pattern to do in the house of the Lord. Verse 19 comes to the end of that list and it says this. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. And David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord." And behold, the courses of the priests and the Levites, even they shall be with thee for all the service of the house of God. And there shall be with thee for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man, for any manner of service. Also the princes and all the people will be holy at thy commandment. I want to read two verses into the next chapter. It says this, Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of divers colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. And that'll conclude our reading this morning. Appreciate your patience as I tried to read um, First Chronicles chapter 1, or excuse me, 28, 1 through 11, 19 into verse, chapter 29, verse 2. Um, the title of our message this morning derived from these verses is Leaving a Spiritual Inheritance. Leaving a spiritual inheritance. I suppose as I was uh, preparing for this message, uh, a lot of a lot of thoughts ran through my mind in reading this text, and um, I hope the Lord will help me to relate those that are most needful in this hour today. Uh, but as I was preparing, um, one of the things that my mind came to was. Um, how much over the years the uh, Thanksgiving that we celebrate in my family has changed. And I'm sure many of you can testify to this, especially those that are older. Um, When I was young, we started a family tradition 
which has been a very good one that I enjoy very much. Every person in the home, before we say grace, goes around and tells what we're thankful for. Um, And it generally varies, and a lot of times based upon the circumstances that people have faced, uh, the blessings people have received, the hardships they've experienced. Uh, But it's a wonderful thing to hear out loud, deliberately, people just praising God and thanking Him for the various blessings that they've experienced. Over the years, um, the people have changed a lot. Um, When we started that tradition, my grandmother and grandfather, um, who are no longer um, alive, were there. Uh, There were no grandkids. Um, I was just dating what is now my wife. And all my brother-in-laws were just dating my sisters. And um, it's changed a lot. And I suppose this, every year, another tradition that we have that's kind of a humorous one is we play a football game. And so since I was just a kid, everyone goes out and we um, suit up, I guess you could say, and we play. And uh, one year we forgot a football, so we took a little towel and put duct tape around it, and that was our football that year because we couldn't break the tradition. Um, So those two things for me, um, having now experienced the joys of the old generation and and how it used to be, and now coming into the newer generation and kind of having been right there in the middle, I appreciate the constant and what has remained unchanged, and that is those two traditions. Um, They're very meaningful to me, and I hope for the remainder of my life we can continue those things. Um, It reminds me in recalling that story, um, that exact thing, and that is that one generation comes and then another generation takes over. And it's, it's strange in a lot of ways that for hundreds of years your family has likely been celebrating Thanksgiving in some capacity. And there's a robust group that's there. And then a few pass away until you unexpectedly become the old one. And if the Lord permits time to go on, you'll pass away and your children will become the old ones. And then grandchildren will become the old ones. And Lord willing, as time goes on, that will continue. Um, I suppose that gets me a lot thinking about generational things. Um, And as I consider this text today, and we're going to point some things out about this text, it reminds me of kind of how God has established the phases of our spiritual lives. Um, He's very clear, and especially in the book of Proverbs, the first seven chapters over and over The wisest man that ever lived either begins the chapter or shortly after beginning the chapter says, my son, and then in some form or fashion says, heed the lessons of, heed the teaching of, heed the laws of your father and mother. And so the first seven chapters over and over and then throughout the book of Proverbs, it instructs very deliberately young person Listen to those older than you. And if I was to ask you as a young person, you may look at the the people around you that are older and say, oh, what do they have to offer? But let me ask you this simple question. Do you think you'll be wiser 10 years from now than what you are today? 
are you wiser today than what you were five years ago? I hope so. I hope you're a lot wiser than what you were five years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, depending on your age. In the first part of our life, God has instructed us that we are to learn. To allow others, through their experience and wisdom, to just pour into us. And God has made it such that, generally speaking, those who are positioned in life in that phase to learn are unencumbered with the heavy weights of responsibility that beset the other two groups. And so not only do you have this opportunity that God has given you to learn at a necessity because you don't have the wisdom and knowledge and experience you need, but then God has made it such that you're usually provided for. And so you can be more intentional with learning. Then the biggest span of our lives, we do. That we have learned for a period of time. We have now got out from under the authority of those who are directly instructing us and moved out of the phase of deliberate, intentional learning. And we spend the greater part of our life when we have our strength, when we have our soundness of mind, when we can be of the greatest productivity in many fashions, in the heat of our day, we do. We work. And it is good for men and women to work, to use the strength of their mind and the strength of their body to put their hand to the plow and sweat and have the duress of their mind. That is a good thing that God has ordained even prior to the curse that was levied on Adam and Eve. They were responsible for working. It's pleasing to God that we work. And then we come to the very end. And you begin to see your mind becomes a little forgetful. You're not able to think as sharply and as quickly as what you once were able to. Perhaps even you're not as interested as what you once were. Things of the mind change. I don't even think I need to point out that your body changes and you don't have the strength. Right? That's pretty self-evident. That things that you could do formally, you just can't do anymore. Or at least not to the same capacity as what you could. And so, mindful of this, we come to this old man David. And we see a man who exemplifies all three of these extremely well. In his youth, he was one given to learning. And you can sense that all throughout his childhood, as the Bible depicts it, he was not an arrogant youth. He was not one that tried to accomplish things of his own strength, but he learned from those around him. He obviously learned from his father a whole litany of skills that most young people today don't have. And then when God made him responsible, he placed his hands for at least or for 40 years in, in, uh, as the king of Israel to doing And he worked hard, and he fought, and he labored, and he had courage. And now he is coming to the end, and he's responsible for leaving an inheritance to the next generation. 
Now, hopefully, if you have children and you're coming to the phase of having grandchildren or you already have grandchildren, your mind should be focused very clearly upon what inheritance you are leaving behind. And I want to point out a few things that David does as he's getting to the end of his life that serves us as a pattern in older age to how we're going to leave this inheritance behind. And the first thing I want to point out is that David was very intentional. Notice what he does here as an old man. He sees himself coming to the end of his life and he says, I want to bring in all the leaders of Israel for I have something that is important for all of Israel to hear. And so he brings them in. And you'll notice, and we didn't read a a portion of it, but David is very, very detailed in the exact things that he is wanting Solomon to do. He's wanting the kingdom to do and how those things within the house of God are to be done. He tells the specific instruments in the temple and how they're to be built. And he has written all of those things down. And he's very intentional and meticulous as to what he is leaving them behind and what their course of action ought to be. Here's the second thing that David does. As he begins to talk to them, if you'll notice in your, in your scripture, David in verse 9 He has, or excuse me, earlier than that, he has a vision. He has a spiritual vision that he passes on to the next generation. Now, I know this is even controversial today to some degree, but I love the country that I live in, America. I've traveled to other places in the world. My cousin that I saw at Thanksgiving, she just traveled to different parts of Europe, which I suppose is more like us than any place in the world, and I couldn't help but note after being in Europe for two weeks, she came back, and the first thing she said that she was thankful for was, I'm glad for the country that I live in. I love my country. I love our uh, the the school I used to teach at. It was just in the state championship football game yesterday, and and, you know, I, I, I don't care about it, but I care about it, right? They're, they were my people for 10 years, and, and so I have this interest and this care because they're my people, or they were my people. Kathleen and I will occasionally look up the newspaper back from the hometown that we were in just to see things going on because they're my people. And as we've moved down here, now I wish well, and this has become my people. And so the things that go on in Bowling Green and the things that go on in your life more specifically, they matter to me. And when I think about the future, I care about this area and the people that are going to be here later on. And I am mindful of this fact that my paternal great-grandfather was not religious at all. The story is he had no, never attended church. He never had an interest in attending church. And then my paternal grandfather, for whatever reason, an answer I could never be able to find, just took an interest in God and church. And he began to attend church. And then he became very faithful to the church. And then he got saved in a revival where some 
over a hundred people supposedly got saved in a six week revival outdoors. Over time, he became a deacon. His son became a preacher. And here I am before you today. And so I look at, have tracked to some degree, the opposite side of the family. So my grandfather became very religious. But what about his brother? Not at all. And so when I look at my peers and that generations that are uh, third or fourth cousins, what I see is people who have no interest in God, no interest in church, and likely don't know the Lord. And I contrast my life with theirs. And as we mentioned last week, I am so thankful for what God has done for me in my life. And I think about that same thing playing out when I am going to be the great-grandfather. And my heart's concern is deeply, not only for my own, but for your own. Children and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren all the way down the line, those are important. And much of the ministry work that we can do is not only horizontal, but also goes downward, down the family line and down the family tree, that our, we would be intentional and that we would know and seek after the welfare of generations gone by, that we would leave behind a spiritual inheritance for them that long outlasts whatever natural inheritance could be left behind. And David is mindful of this. So you notice in everything that David is saying, he is recalling nothing about the natural things, but rather he is articulating purely spiritual things that he desires to leave behind and activities to be carried out beyond his death. And so he calls, and one of the things that he says here is he says, I, my family, or rather Judah, the tribe that I am in, was chosen by God. And within that tribe, my family was chosen. And within that family, I was chosen to be the king of Israel. And of all my many sons, God chose not the firstborn or the secondborn, but God chose of his own will Solomon. And so what he begins to do is he begins to charge Solomon for what his responsibilities are. I would, I would give this as a piece of advice to our older folks about what David does here. Intentionally articulate to your children and grandchildren what is most important for them to carry on after you, are, after you are gone? Like, what do you value in them the most? When they're your age, or when they're 80 years old, and they're looking back on the span of their life, what is it that would have been pleasing to mom and dad for them to do throughout their lives? David projects this vision, and he says, in my life, What I wanted to do was build God a temple. I built palaces. I I added to my treasury. I had all these things that I benefited from. I defended our nation. I extended our territory. But what I really was down deep in my heart was I wanted to build a temple or what he called also as a footstool, a place for God to dwell. 
That was what was most important to David. And he tells them that. This was the most important thing. But God prevented me from being able to build this temple. Hopefully there are many spiritual things that this generation of older people that are at our church desire to do but were unable to accomplish because of whatever reason. Articulate those things to the next generation. Be clear about those things that when you look at the future and you know, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do this. My time on earth will not permit me to be able to accomplish these things. But here are the spiritual visions that I've had from long ago when I was just a young man or a young woman. These are the things that I desire to see accomplished that are yet to be accomplished. And these are the things that I want to project before you because God willing, you're going to walk into the future. And there are going to be trials. And one of the interesting things about this is this is almost a pattern that we find throughout the scriptures is that David is telling Solomon this in the same fashion that Moses told Joshua and that Jesus in the Great Commission gave to his church. It basically goes like this. There is something ahead of you that is going to be very difficult, but do not be afraid. Rise up and go and do it because God is going to be with you if you apply your heart and your life towards seeking and serving him. It's this constant pattern that the leaders of God passed on from generation to generation. Now what we find in the scriptures is that there's a lot of people who are good at learning and they're good at doing. But they fail the very last part. Projecting a vision and teaching the next generation what they ought to do when they're gone. Here's one thing I've always been very scared of. We have people in this church who have roles. They're not necessarily listed, but they have roles. I'm going to point one out this morning. Have you ever noticed Brother Steve walks around and welcomes everybody? Have you ever noticed that? Probably. Do you know that's important? I appreciate the role that he fills there. So, who's going to take his place? How many years did Brother Ron... Sat up here and taught Sunday school. Been the fill-in for the preacher whenever he can't make it on a Wednesday night. Or the Danny in the same fashion, teaching back in the back. Who is going to take their place? Now, this isn't spoken to 20-year-olds. This is those older than that. Who are going to be the ones that are here every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, no matter what? You see that we have these faithful older people that have roles. And things, let me even add this, things that people do that people don't even know about. Secret things. Cares and concerns that are attended to absolutely silently. And they go about their service to God in those devoted ways. Let me say this for just a moment. David here is being deliberate and saying, here are the things that must be carried on when I'm gone. Because it makes it what it is. See, oftentimes we don't realize it's those silent things that nobody sees that makes the church what it is. We don't even realize it. Here, David. Then he charges Solomon directly. 
And this is a very humbling text to me in verse 9 and 10. Like this, is, this is scary. Because I have often had this feeling, Lord, I am not ready to depart for these older people to depart. When I was at the last church that I pastored, our deacon, one of our deacons there who was a very, very essential part of what the church was doing had a heart attack. And as I was driving to the hospital, I cried and prayed the whole way there. And all I could say was, Lord, we can't lose him yet. We can't lose him yet. Here, Solomon knows it's the end. Brother Moran filled in for me a couple of weeks ago. And I appreciate the role that he plays in my life. And this is what it is. I study a text... And I begin to get distraught because I either can't understand or it plagues me with some anxiety about what I feel like I'm understanding. And so I wrestle with it and I wrestle with it and I wrestle with it. And then finally, after I've come to the very end of my rope, I'll call someone like him and I'll say, okay, help me. And sometimes he's able to and sometimes he's not. But what's always nice to have is that, that person that I can go to that, that provides comfort and help and aid in those moments. And I have long lamented and been fearful of the day where I am that man. And it happens from an experiential fashion when you don't even realize it, doesn't it? Like suddenly in the church there's all these older people and you're one of the younger ones and you're not being asked about your opinion, but you're eager to give it, and you're not ones providing that much, all the older people are doing And then suddenly, usually within about a decade's period of time, all of them are gone. And suddenly you've transitioned to this new place, and for the first time you begin to recognize that eyes are on you, and questions are headed your direction, and expectations are coming your way. And what David is trying to do is make sure those who come after are prepared. Because ones that are ill-prepared often attempt to skirt the responsibility. And that is when things all fall apart. It's when unexpectedly there is this transition that changes. And our older folks go to meet their heavenly reward. And then those that are left behind do not deliberately determine, I am going to step into this place. I am going to gird up my loins is what Peter says. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to call my mind. I'm going to call my heart to action. I am going to stand in this place and lead. And I trust that God will be with me as he was that those came before me. And so David, as this man of God, this old wise man that dies, I think at 71 or 72 years old, he calls all of Israel and he says, my time is done. And he looks at his son amongst all of these great men. And he says, son, this is on you. You are the king of God's people and God chose you to do this. Now that's humbling, isn't it? I mean, why the household of Jesse? Nothing about Jesse that was of any rank, of any importance. And then why within the household of Jesse, David? And then why within the household of David, Solomon? But here's the one thing that faith teaches us is we don't have to always answer the questions why, but we can take confidence in that it was God's providential decision to do it. So he said, I don't know why. But I know there was a reason why. And so I'm going to trust God. There may be, and you might say what all the prophets said, what so many men all through history and women of history have said is, 
Who am I? And how am I qualified? And there would be so many better to do this. And that's an excuse that Satan will embellish in your mind. And he'll point out all of your flaws and all of your weaknesses and all of your sins. And yet the Bible tells us so clearly, Paul in instructing those at Corinth said, God does, calls the weak things to confound the wise. And those that are, those that are humble, those that are ill-prepared in their own sight to do this great task. Remember, Saul was prepared, right? He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a soldier. All of Israel wanted him and was clamoring for him to be the king. And yet he was unfit for the task because his heart was not submissive to the will of God. And then there was this little ruddy boy named David. A boy. And the prophet walks in and he anoints him king. And even the prophet was wrong because he thought his older brother looked more qualified. If you're going to use the excuse you're not qualified, that's one been used for a long time and God does not accept it. God doesn't accept I'm not qualified. He looks at his son Solomon and here's what he says. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. So now what he's doing is he's preparing his son. He's saying, to be fit to be king. So here's how I would translate this to all of us. For us to be in that position to take over the responsibilities of those who have come before us. The number one qualification is you must know God. You say, Brother Brad, of course I need to be saved. That's not what I'm talking about. There has to be a daily familiarity with who God is. You see, people, Christian people, are different in many ways. But in one way is that their mind... Well, I don't want to say this. Their heart and their mind is continuously focused upon God and spiritual things. So here's what I would say to you. If you're one who is next in the queue to take over leadership in the Lord's church, recognize that there is a distinct thing that has to take place in your life. And that is, number one, you've got to set all the ambition. You've got to take all the things that are primary concerns of your life and that are exalted beyond what they should and you've got to say those things are secondary to my walk with God. Knowing God is essential. Now if that becomes a person's primary focus it will be evidenced in their life. Here's what often people get wrong. They think, let me, let me, let me uh, set aside all of these behaviors that a leader in the church ought to do. So they ought to be here and they ought to do all these various things. And then if I'll do all those things, I'm equipped to be a leader as a male or a female in the church. And I would say you're looking at it the complete wrong way. What you do is you seek to know God. You seek to be conformed to his image and to his word. And then what you'll find is that God begins to change your actions and your attitudes. And suddenly, you begin to do all those things on the checklist, but with a heart God is pleased with. People in the church, I would say this is a place where a lot of modern Christianity has got it wrong. Is they, you know, they list all these qualifications. They said, if you do this, 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 and this, and this, then you're prepared. No, God is looking at the heart 
and actions are necessary and specific actions are commanded. But those specific actions emanate and come forth from a heart surrendered and a hungry to know God. I'll say this and this may come back to bite me and eat my words. I'm very sensitive who is an elder I lay hands on. I have skipped more ordinations than I have attended. Why? Because when I read all of the qualifications there in Timothy, when I read the qualifications in Acts 6 of a deacon, when I read the qualifications in Titus, when I see those things, what I see undergirding all of that is a spiritual person. That's what God wants. And when someone has checked all the list off, but you ask a simple spiritual question and they have no understanding or they have no, uh, they're not grasping it. It makes me say, hold on. If this were a business, he would be fit. If this were a, a YMCA club, he would be fit. But this is a spiritual kingdom. And we're spiritual priests administering a spiritual worship. Natural qualifications are not primary qualifications. They're secondary. Here, he says, Solomon, here's my advice to you as the king of Israel. Know God. Know Him. He continues, and serve Him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. The word perfect means blameless. So let me translate that because there's a qualification in 1 Timothy that a lot of times people stumble out when it comes to an elder or a, or a deacon that says to be blameless. And so often people think, well, you've got to be perfect. I don't live up to that, so I'm unqualified. That's not what it's talking about. Right? There, is, there is a distinct difference, and, and we don't often get it in the King James because it's hard to express in a few words. But there is a difference between sinning and a lifestyle of sin. There's a difference. And the Bible makes a distinction in someone who you and I are always going to sin. Our corrupt natures condemn us to that sentence. I am always going to sin. However, if I am being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, if I am growing and maturing, I ought to sin less and it ought to hurt me more when I do. Habitual sin, a lifestyle rooted in sin, is intolerable to the Christian seeking to know God. And to me, at the heart of a man or a woman whom God deems blameless is someone who in their heart and mind, they have set themselves that, God, I want to be perfect, although I know I will fail. But I want you to blot out and take out of my life deep-seated lifestyle choices which are rooted in sin. I cannot live perpetually doing these things. And knowing about it. Here, he says with a blameless heart. Your heart is set on the welfare of good. You don't have any... Because later he says this. God knows the imaginations of your thoughts. God knows what's in your heart. He knows whenever we say one thing and we say what our intentions are about those things. But really we have a different intention. What God wants is a heart that is honest. That is not looking to manipulate a situation that will eventually lead back to their own benefit. God wants a heart that says, 
I am looking for God's glory and I am looking for the welfare of my fellow man first. Everything else is beneath that. He says, Solomon, my son, you must have a heart whose affections are set on good. And then he says this third one, a willing mind. A willing mind. What is a willing mind? Well, it's exactly what it says. I'm willing to do what God says. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'm pretty foolish. I'll get in and I'll start trying to analyze what that means. And I'll dig and dig and dig. And then I come to the conclusion, no, it just means what it says. Right? And that's what I came to here. It just means you're willing to do what God calls you to do. Not consideration of the loss you might incur. Not consideration of the discomfort that you might incur. Not in consideration of the opportunity costs of other things that you have to give up. You're just willing to do what God has called you to do. And notice he says a mind. A willing mind. I think it's a fascinating way for him to put it. Why? Because the mind of man is often set on so many other things. He says, no, have your mind submissive and willing to say, Lord, I want to rule this kingdom well. He continues, he says this, and I'm going to begin to close. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of, of the thoughts. Now notice this. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now. That means carefully consider this. Listen is what he's saying to Solomon. Hear this. For the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. And I love the succinctness of this next statement. Be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. Have you ever met um, smoke blowers? You know what a smoke blower is, don't you? Maybe that's a northern saying, right? Blowing smoke. People who talk a big game and it comes down to performance and they don't step up to do it. It leads to a lot of disappointment in people around you. You know, if you're around someone who's a big talker and especially somebody who's a visionary, somebody who always has these creative big ideas of all the things that could be done. But then when it comes to doing the nitty-gritty, dirty work, because listen, every spiritual idea, every natural idea takes work, especially at the beginning. It takes people who do not avoid the hard stuff. Don't avoid the, un- the small things. They put their heart in their mind and saying, I'm going to do whatever is necessary to accomplish the vision that is set out before us. Whatever is necessary, small or big. And so finally he comes to the end of this charge and he says, be strong. I imagine it like this. Stand up like a man. Right? Don't shy away. Don't, and later he gets to that when he gets to verse 20. He says, and David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear, do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. 
What a wonderful thing he says. He says, don't be afraid. Now, here's my honest opinion. I think moving forward, the next generation has some things to be afraid of. Right? We all know the future of America, if it doesn't turn back, is not looking good. And the things that will be faced are likely going to be more challenging than the things that have been faced recently. And so there's a part of me that doesn't even like my mind to imagine what my children and grandchildren are going to face 50 years from now if God allows time to go on. And yet I can say exactly what David said to Solomon, regardless of what is going to be faced. Do not be dismayed. Don't be disheartened. Be str- don't be afraid. Because if you'll devote yourself to God, God will be with you and he will help you to face whatever lies ahead. And what a consolation that we can offer to all those come come after us. And what an encouragement it is to us that we can have the audacity to promise those who come after him. If you will be faithful to God, he will be faithful to you. He will not forsake you. And then notice how he also says that not only will he not forsake you, he will not fail you. He's not going to meet his match with someone who can conquer what he's intending to accomplish. No, God, if he's determined to do it, he's going to do it. And nobody that you face is going to be able to prevent that. Here, we learn. Here's the last thing I'll say about David. Then, the next chapter, here's what he says. I have prepared a pattern for you. I love that part. I never, I never realized this before, and it's just my ignorance, I'm sure, is, is that Solomon built it, but David drew the blueprints. Never realized that before. And that was quite profound to me. David had it in his heart to do it, but God said no. So, well, if I can't do it, I'll get them as far along the path as possible so that when they put their hand to it, they can get it done. Notice what he says in verse 2 of the next chapter. Now have I prepared with all of my might for the house of my God to be built. I've always imagined this. been longer this morning than I intended. I've always imagined this. Faithful men and women of God who strove throughout their whole life to serve God faithfully. Trying to do the right thing. How joyful it must be in some ways to come to the end of your life. No doubt can point out all the mistakes that they made. But to be able to with an honest heart say, I have tried to be faithful in everything the Lord has given me. I have tried to have a willing mind. I've tried to be strong and courageous against things that scared me. I tried to do when it was my calling to do. And when it came to the very end, I did not spiritually retire. No. I did all that I could to leave the next generation as far along as possible. And when I took my last breath, there was nothing else that I know of within my strength that I could have done to prepare them for building the house of God. That is a spiritual inheritance. That is the way that I hope we all would strive to leave things behind.
remember hearing a testimony one time of an older brother, and it kind of makes me laugh now. But he was talking about all the evils of the world and how bad things had gotten, and he really rambled on for a really long time. And, and it was quite depressing, to be honest with you, because I thought, well, man, you're about to take flight. Like, I'm, I'm left behind in this mess, and you helped to create it, right? And uh, he got to the very end of his testimony, and he just said, well, to all those younger than me, good luck. Wow, that's the best you got, <laughs> right? Um, I don't want this next generation to be left with a good luck message. Well, I'm dying, I'm going to heaven, it's going to be great there. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if this older generation said, here, I've got a blueprint for you. Here's a pattern. This is the way God's church is meant to be built and constructed. Not only that, but I've allowed you to sit among all the princes of Israel and learn from their wisdom. I've shown you, right? Very often when I talk to Brother Steve or Brother Ron, I always say, well, we probably better get a younger deacon involved in this too. And there's a reason. Because as competent as they are, and as competent as they're going to be, one day they will be very incompetent because they won't be here. And that's the same thing for our older ladies who pray. Who are going to be the ones that call out to God in deep, agonizing prayer before the church for all of us to witness? Not as a spectacle unto themselves, but to show what true prayer is. Who are the ones that are going to, I can look to my boys and say, be like that. Be like that. I don't have that quality, and I should, and I look up to that. I pray God would help us. I guess as I was mindful, this message just came out in a like scrambled eggs this morning, but I was thinking of our older congregation. Be deliberate in leaving behind a pattern that we can follow. Because I'm afraid... I'm afraid of that not being the case. And what will happen? I saw this one time. Didn't realize it at the moment. Nobody did, but it became apparent. There was this family that was a really good family that I knew. And uh, things were, you know, well with the family. And then the matriarch died. And what I never realized, and nobody did, and probably they didn't, was how much that she was holding the whole thing together. Like it was her moral compass that was the compass that everyone followed. It was her encouraging words that guided people towards the decisions that they made in life. It was so much of what the spokes all came back to was her. And one day, she died. And guess what happened? You know, it all fell apart. And now it's in shambles. She was able to do. You may be able to do. But leave behind a pattern that we can follow. That's our message today. I've overextended myself this morning. I pray it'd be helpful to some of you. You would read that text and be benefited from it this morning.